Thank you for reading the word to us. That is powerful. Today's a big day here at Hillcrest. I've got three reasons why. Number one, we're launching our discipleship pathway today. It's been uh, something in the works for a couple years, getting to the point where we could articulate some of the essentials that we felt would uh, define what makes a disciple of Jesus and to create a pathway that people could look at and, and uh, reflect upon and ask the Holy Spirit to guide them in the process of uh, committing to a next step or, or two uh, that they're going to take in the next season to grow. So that's a big deal for us. So we have next steps that uh, sort of come under five different categories. There's next steps in the area of connecting big, and there's next steps in the area of, oh, sorry, celebrating big, and then connecting small, walking with Jesus, sharing the work and engaging in mission. And I'm excited that we're going to do this at the end of my speaking time today. We're going to uh, do this reflection exercise together uh, to allow uh, the Holy Spirit to guide us in the kind of steps we should be taking as individuals going forward. Today is also the launch of life groups. And uh, that's pretty exciting. Lots of people have uh, been, groups have been forming and people have been signing up to get into groups. And it's not too late if you want to get into a group to, to go see uh, Pastor Dave Moore at the info desk. And he'll do his best to try to uh, see wh- how he can help you get connected with a life group. So lots of people meeting on a weekly basis or generally it's a weekly basis uh, to uh, go over the word and prayer and to support each other as they as we grow in Jesus. It's also, now here's the third reason, it's also the first time that many of us this week, is the first time that many of us will experience using the discovery Bible study method of studying the Bible. This is a reproducible model of studying the Bible that's used all over the world. And we want to equip as many people as possible to be able to study the Bible on their own in a way that trains them to obey and naturally leads them to making disciples. That's the idea behind it. So we're going to watch a little video here uh, that explains sort of how the, it shows how the discovery Bible study method works. I wanted to give you this video and it'll give you a bit more reinforcement for when you get into your life group. So um, if we can bring that video up. We all have big questions. They're like puzzle pieces and we're searching to find out how they fit together and what that means for our lives and our world. Sometimes we don't want to show them to others because we're not sure that we have a safe place to ask, where does this fit? Yet most of us long for a place where we can put the pieces together and do it with other people. But sharing different opinions sometimes isn't enough. Is it possible that the wisdom found in the Bible is able to answer these questions? Where can we find a safe place where we can openly ask our questions and share our ideas, but at the same time see what the Bible says, rather than simply hear everyone's opinions? The Discovery Bible Study is a simple tool that's been used around the world in diverse cultures to help people find the Bible's answers to their deep questions. It's amazingly simple. First, you spend a few minutes talking about your week. Everyone in the group says what they're thankful for and what is bothering them or causing them stress. Next, someone reads through the Bible section for the day out loud while everyone else follows along. Then, without looking at the text, someone else retells the story by memory. Others can fill in what might have been left out. Two important questions help discover the wisdom of the Bible. 
After reading the passage again, the group discusses the question, what does this story tell us about God, Jesus, or His plan? After another reading, the group considers the question, what does this story tell us about humans? By limiting the discussion to ideas found only in the text, we allow the Bible to speak for itself. In fact, this is the essence of the Discovery Bible Study. We are always asking, where do we find that idea in this text? This wisdom becomes practical when everyone answers these questions. From what we see in the text, what is it that you are doing well? What might need to change in your life? And do you know anyone else who needs to hear this and how would you go about sharing it with them? Next week, everyone has a chance to tell how they were able to put this into practice. A Discovery Bible Study is a safe place where we can bring our big questions and see for ourselves what the Bible says. As we discuss the wisdom of the Bible and how it can change our lives, we find answers that help us make sense of the pieces of the puzzle. Does this sound intriguing? Find two, three, or eight people and try it once a week for the next month. If you're already part of a study group, try it there for a month or two. Do it with your kids or with your spouse. Our website has a list of suggested Bible passages and a simple guide to help keep the conversation on track. Discovery Bible Study, a place to bring your questions and see for yourself what the Bible says. All right, so a little bit of a, uh, how it works, but I want to really just remind you what it's really about. It's because I think for a long time in the North American church, we've been used to taking in the information of the Bible, but not necessarily applying it and not necessarily obeying it and not necessarily sharing it with anyone else. And so if we're going to become more effective in making disciples, we need to uh, get those rhythms back into our lives and, and to have them in uh, front and center. So actually, let's, let's try this real quick. Just a tiny little version, a little bit of it. I'm going to read you today's scripture. Dave's already read it, but it's short, okay? And then I'm going to, this is an exercise you do with the Discovery Bible Study is, can you recall it? Are you retaining scripture? Or when people read scripture, does your mind just go blank and you think of your grocery list or something else, right? So I'm going to read the scripture for today, and then I'd love it if one of you, all of you should try this exercise, but if one of you would actually come up you can stand here. Here's the bonus. You get to take your mask off if you come up here. And so if you come up and stand here and just try to, re- try to say it in your own words, what I read. And I would say if you think you can do about 50% of it or better, come on up. I'd love to have you do that. The idea is that the rest of the group can fill in what you missed, okay? So if you, there's a brave volunteer after I read the scripture who would be willing to um, come up and re-say it in their own words, that's be a demonstration of, of something that you would do in a discovery Bible study. So let me read the, the scripture again and listen to it and think, have I retained it? Did I really listen it? Did I, could I regurgitate it and retell it? Okay, because that is, uh, that's a skill we want to learn in, so in order that what we receive, we can pass on. Here we go. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Who'd like to come take their mask off and take a stab at it? You think you, you, think you know 50% of it or better? Just retelling it in your own words. Come on up. Tammy's going to come. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Jesus told the 11 disciples to go to the mountain that he told them to, and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, uh, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, uh, baptizing them and teaching them everything that I have commanded you, and um, I will be with you while you do it. That was pretty awesome, wasn't it? She did a great job. More than 50%, way more. Is there anything that got missed? Some doubted. Okay, good, good. That's good. This is what the community is about. You can fill in the rest. That was amazing. Anything else? Jesus said he had all authority. Okay, great. Any more? What's that? Call to teach someone to obey. Okay, great, great. Um, again, we're wanting to take in the word, but take it in a way that we remember it. We, we, uh, main, we keep it, right? And that we can pass it on. So if you're in the street, maybe you're telling somebody, hey, you know what I learned this week? You've got it with you. All right. So after you do that, then you're basically going back to the scripture again and again. And you're asking questions like, what does it say about God? Getting, mining all the gold out in that category. What does it say about God? Then Go through it again. Read it again. And then, what does it say about people? And then at the end, the two, and this will be the ones that you will naturally, if you're a North American Christian, you'll struggle to remember this because you've sort of, maybe, maybe we haven't been in this pattern before. How can you apply what you've heard? You know, there's some areas probably where you're doing stuff that's been described in here well. Good. And maybe some areas where you need to... Uh, there's something that you need to obey. So out of this, what, what do I need to apply? What do I need to obey? How can I make even some tiny shift towards greater obedience in this area? And then the, the second question is, who could I share this with? Who needs to hear something from what we read today? And how could you share it with them? And so it's training ourselves towards obedience and discipling others. So what you receive you freely give to other people. And what you learn, you don't just learn it, but you put it into practice. So let's, I'll jump back into Matthew 28, 16 to 20 again today. So the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to a mountain where Jesus had told them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Some doubted? I mean, Jesus has rose from the dead. I, went, I, I was thinking about this, thinking about the people who might have doubted. There's Doubting Thomas. You know, that was, we call him Doubting Thomas. But it seemed like he was fully convinced by this point. And then the one that came to mind, and I'm not sure if he would have been one that doubted, but I know he did doubt, is James. Now, do you know Jesus had, Mary and Joseph had other kids. Not just Jesus. But they had, uh, I think it's four boys and two girls. So, seven kids, oh, 
A number of completion. Awesome, right? So, um, yeah, four other boys. So James is the one we know the most about because he became a follower of Jesus. In fact, it looks like in the Bible where it describes, it describes Jesus' brothers in different... It looks like maybe all four of the brothers became followers of Jesus. But when Jesus was traipsing around uh, Israel with his disciples teaching and doing miracles and all those things, they weren't followers of Jesus. In fact, they doubted who, him. They didn't believe him. They didn't believe in him. They didn't trust in him. They weren't following him. So what could possibly have happened for them to become followers of Jesus? I mean, James, uh, he and, and the other brothers, they, became, they came to believe, and James became one of the most prominent leaders in the church. In fact, it seems like he was maybe the main prominent leader, even maybe more prominent than Peter in that early church era. And he, he wasn't even one of the 12 disciples, the 12 disciples appointed him to be an overseer, and then later on you see him in the New Testament leading at a very high level. What could possibly have happened? Uh, another one of the brothers, the other one we know a little more about, is Jude. And uh, both James and Jude have letters in our Bible today. And they're just called James and Jude. And James is a little bit longer, full of lots of practical stuff. And then Jude's really short, so I think it's only 25 verses. But you know what? One of the verses in Jude I think is really cool. It's uh, the 22nd verse of Jude says, Be merciful to those who doubt. <laughs> Seems self-serving, doesn't it? Because they doubted. They didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. We didn't believe he was the Son of God. What changed that? Well, the resurrection. Now, I, if one of my, I have five brothers. If one of, any one of my brothers said that they were God. I would doubt. I would really doubt. What would it take for me to believe? Oh, it would take a pretty big miracle. Like if one of my bro- it would take a miracle on the scale of my brother saying, I'm going to tell you how I'm going to die. I'm going to tell you when I'm going to die. But after I die, and after I've been dead for a few days, I'll come back to life and lead a movement that'll change the world. I'd be like, prove it, right? (laughs) But if that happened, suddenly you go, oh, I have to think differently about who this person is. I have to think differently, right? And that's what happened. The resurrection happened. Jesus predicted his death, and he died. He was crucified on a Roman cross, which you, you know, you didn't just... That wasn't something that people survived. And then he rose from the dead. And so then they believed. So if you have doubts, uh, here at Hillcrest, we endeavor to be merciful to those who have doubts. In fact, we want to include you in what we do. In fact, if you have doubts, maybe you want to sort them out here at Hillcrest. Uh, Kurt was just saying how Alpha is a great place. If you're sort of new to Christianity or you're just exploring it or you're just curious, come to Alpha. Let us feed you and hang out with you and, and share some stuff that might help you to explore some of the doubts that you have. We want to include you in what we're doing. So if you have doubts, that's not a, that's not a, a killer. You can, you can get answers for those, some of those doubts. So James, um, James had Jesus appear to him. In fact, that's what 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, that Jesus appeared to the other apostles and to James after the crucifixion. Now, so here's James. Growing up with Jesus, I mean, I don't know what it would be like growing up with Jesus, but did you have a, a sibling who always did everything right? Now imagine Jesus as your sibling. Oh my goodness, you always feel insecure by comparison. I mean, so he grew up with Jesus, and when there was, you know, this, Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Son of God, he wanted nothing to do with that, that's not true. He sort of was, was interested in Jesus' miracles. They believed that the miracles that he performed were real. In fact, they said, you should go to Jerusalem and get on the big stage and do these things. I think maybe they wanted to be, you know, associated with someone famous. And, but Jesus refused to uh, do it for show, and also he kept a lot of things hidden for a long time uh, because it wasn't his time yet. So here's James. He's gone on this roller coaster ride of not believing, maybe resentful, not really liking Jesus, maybe, wanting to control Jesus, can't get his way, and then Jesus dies, and he rises from the grave, and he appears. He comes to meet with James. So he gives, he, he believes, he becomes a leader in the church. If you're a person who has doubts right now, maybe you'll become a leader in the church someday, just like James. I'm saying all this to say that James had a very interesting discipleship pathway. Very interesting discipleship pathway, very unique. You know, in life groups this week, you're going to look at another one of Jesus' disciples, Peter's discipleship pathway, his path of discipleship. And uh, again, his is very unique. But each one of us has a unique discipleship pathway. I mean, you can think of your pathway stretching back into your life experiences. Like, like, look at how God's prepared you. Look at how God's prepared you for things. He's given you a specific personality. Your heart and your passions are probably a little bit different than other people. Your, your abilities... You know, you have some abilities I don't have. I might have some you don't have. We're just very unique in those ways. And um, our life experiences really shape us too. You know, all those things come together into, uh, into making us who we are. And did you know that God has plans for your pathway forward? Let me read you Ephesians 2.10. It says, for we are God's handiwork. And that means he's put his fingerprints all over us when he created us. And he's making us into something really cool. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So before you were born, God had in mind things for you to do. I would say unique things based on how he shaped you, how he made you, and, how, uh, and what you bring to the table and all those different things. And here at Hillcrest, we want you to experience this Ephesians 2.10 promise in your life. We want you to experience the, doing the good works which God prepared you to do in, in advance. But you'll only experience this if you follow Jesus into the things he's prepared you to do. You, you'll only experience this if you obey I love the phrase in the Bible, if you're faithful with little, you'll be given much. Faithful obedience in the little things is where the pathway begins. So what do we call someone who follows Jesus and seeks to do what Jesus wants them to do? 
The word Jesus used was a disciple. Let me read verses 19 and 20 again. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So according to this, what are Jesus' disciples supposed to do? Well, one, make disciples. Jesus' disciples are supposed to make disciples. Disciples making disciples. You know, there's a great lie that we can tell ourselves. It sounds a little bit like this. After I become a really mature disciple myself, then I will start discipling others. And I want to tell you today, you are already a disciple, and you are already discipling. The question is, about being a disciple, is who are you following? Who are you following? I like that now with social media, they actually even use that term. I'm following such and such a person. I'm following such... It's just like, wow, it's just right out of the Bible. Who are you following? Who is influencing you? Who's discipling you? My son told me the other day, he said he was watching a certain show, some, some show, and, and I said, well, how many seasons of this are there? And we got into talking about it. And then I asked him, I, I said, man, it seems like there's a lot of episodes of this show. How many episodes are there? He said... There's a thousand. I said, a thousand episodes? I mean, uh, didn't Malcolm Gladwell say that if you spent 10,000 hours on something, you'd be an expert? I said, that's a tenth of you becoming an expert in something else. Anyhow, so I was a little concerned. I said, I don't think I want you watching a thousand episodes of any show. That's a lot of discipling. That's a lot of discipleship. That's a lot of influence. So you're being discipled. I don't know what the influences are in your life. I don't know what you're, you're watching, what influences you, what you're reading. I don't know. But maybe we should take stock of that. Because I'll give you a hint. The main influence in the, a disciple of Jesus' life is supposed to be Jesus. But who are you discipling? You said I was a disciple. I'm discipling someone. Yeah, you are. You're influencing people. But how are you influencing? How are you influencing? You are under the influence. You're being discipled. And you are exerting influence. It's just a matter of whether that influence you're under or whether that influence you are exerting is the influence of Jesus. One of the great things about being in this church for, it'll be October 1st, I'll be in this church 19 years. I've loved this church. You guys practically raised me. Thank you. But in 19 years, I've gone to a lot of funerals of good people in the church. And as I've gotten to the latter, longer in the church, these are people I've known for years. And um, many of these funerals have left a real impression on me. And a lot of the things that are said at funerals come back to my mind. And you know, this week, one that came to my mind was the funeral of Gary Lewis. When his kids got up to, to eulogize him and remember him, I'm pretty sure, I don't know if I got this exactly right, but this is what I remember. I'm pretty sure each one of his three kids mentioned that we knew our dad loved God. I remember when I heard it, thinking to myself, will my kids say that? 
Or will they say, well, my dad loved sports, or my dad loved uh, investing, or my dad loved farming, fishing. I don't know. What, what would they say that I... Those are all good things, whatever they are. You know, what would they say that my dad loved God? And that's the clearest thing you could know about him. He really was a disciple of Jesus. He really sought to love God with all his heart and all his soul and all his mind and all his strength. And it started to change him. Some of his habits, his bad habits and relationships started to change and he started to love people like he, like he loves himself. I questioned that. I said, I don't know. But it's, it's a question of influence. When you step out of this life, what will you have left behind in the lives of others? So make disciples is the first thing disciples are supposed to do. They're supposed to influence. How did the early church do discipleship? Well, they did it in so many different ways. In Titus 2.4, older women are to train younger women. In 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul trained Timothy to train others to train others. Ephesians 6.4, fathers are to train their children. And all the moms say, good, now I'm off the hook. No, no, moms, I think you're still on the hook, just letting you know. But fathers are to train their children. Matthew 28, 20, missionaries are to teach the nations everything Jesus commanded. That's what we're looking at today. Hebrews 3.13 and Hebrews 10.24, all Christians are to exhort each other every day to avoid sin and to stir each other up to love and good works. 1 Peter 4.10, all Christians are to use their gifts, their gifts, to serve others. Others. Acts 18, 24 to 26, Priscilla and Aquila, on the spur of the moment, it seems, explained the way of God more accurately to Apollos. And we could go on and on and on. Every Christian should be helping unbelievers become believers by showing them Christ. That's making a disciple. And every Christian should be helping other believers grow to more and more maturity. That is making a a disciple. And every Christian should be seeking to get help for themselves from others to keep on growing. That's also discipleship. And every church should think how all of these kinds of biblical disciple-making practices find expression in their midst. And that's what we've tried to do over the last two years, is to think, how can we I'll make it very personal for me. How can I stand before Jesus someday and giving an account for how I've led and to be able to be there and say, I did my best to make disciples who made disciples. Because that's what you wanted. That's what you desire. That's what you commanded. So disciples are supposed to make disciples. Then he says we're supposed to baptize disciples in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus made baptism the normative action, the normal thing that happened when a person became a Christian. And the apostles carried this out. So in baptism, if you talk about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father becomes our Father when we become a Christian. And Jesus becomes our Lord. And the Spirit becomes the one who empowers us to do what God wants. So make disciples, baptize them, and then teach disciples. This is the third thing disciples are called to do. Teach disciples to obey everything Jesus commanded them. So the new life of a disciple is a life of obedience to Jesus' commandments. 
or it's not a new life at all. It's meant to be a life of continual growth through continual obedience. So those are the the simple things we find in this passage. Make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey. Now here at Hillcrest, I've thought about this. I thought, teaching someone to obey, it's got a few layers to it. One, it's just like, um, well, some people need help on how to obey. So that's what the reflection we're going to do in a a moment. I hope that you see some things on your, oh, I never thought of that. That's very helpful. I can see how that would help me. Oh, good. Thanks for giving me a how-to to to obey. Um, The other thing is, Sometimes you just need to be reinforced in your life that you're supposed to obey. Teaching someone to obey is just saying, hey, this is Christ's command. We are to obey. So it's just urging people and motivating people and, and pleading with people to, to obey Christ. But then the last thing is, there's sort of that thing that you know, we always come back to. But why? But why? And this passage gives us a, the ultimate reason for why we obey. It says... Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He is sovereign. He is over all things. One day, Philippians 2.10 tells us, we will stand before Christ. Well, we won't stand. We'll kneel before Christ and confess that he is Lord. All, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He has jurisdiction everywhere. He has the right and he has the power. He has the authority. That's the basis. Otherwise, we'd say, well, what, on what possible basis do I have any right to communicate to anyone that they should change their whole way of thinking and acting and become a disciple of Christ? Only one thing. Jesus' ultimate authority over everything. On what right do I have as a pastor to come up and say, to call you to obey, to ask you to assess your life and to commit to next steps of obedience. I have no authority on my own. I only can look to what Jesus has said and he has ultimate authority. And so I long to obey him in my teaching as, and, and in my practice and, and I'm calling you to obey him in your teaching, in your practice. Authority is the right and power to do something. And when Jesus speaks, we recognize he has that right and he has that power. So when Jesus speaks, we listen. And here's the last part. It says, surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Sometimes the Great Commission is just so daunting to us. Make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey. Oh man, it just seems daunting. You get it. Here's a couple encouragements. One, you get to it by baby steps. That's what I've, I've noticed. I need a lot of support in my discipleship. I've received a lot of support, but I'm still growing, and there's the areas where I need to take big next steps yet to go. I haven't usually not made them in massive leaps. I've needed support. I've needed reminding. I've needed someone to ask me, am I applying what I'm reading? I've needed, you know, I've needed those supports to get there. But in the body of Christ, I've received a lot of that, and so I'm very blessed in that way. But here's the other thing. It's one thing to have the support of the body of Christ. It's the other thing to realize you have the support of God himself. There's a grace, I call it the grace sandwich here. 
right around this great commission of making disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey, on the top end, there's, a, there's the part of the sandwich is he has all authority over heaven and earth. And on the bottom end, he says, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The great commission is sandwiched in grace. The promise of his absolute authority and power on one side and the promise of his constant presence on the other side. So I'm going to sum it up so we can do our reflection. We want Ephesians 2.10 to happen in your life. We don't want any of you to miss the good works that God in his strategy, in his planning, has prepared for you to do. The unique good works that God has prepared for you to do, that he's shaped your life to do, that he's shaped your personality and, and, and your heart and your passions and your abilities and, and even some of your, good, your life experiences, good and bad. He's been using those to shape you to do something significant in partnership with God. I'm not saying significant like it'll be a big headline someday, but I'm just saying something that really matters. God's called you to play a part in discipling others. And God's called you to do some good works. I don't want anyone to miss that Ephesians 2.10 promise in their lives. When I was just thinking about coming to talk about this, um, I think I've shared this with you before. Sometimes I'm just asking God, Lord, who, am I, who, who do you want me to pray for? Who specifically should I pray for in preparation for talking like this and sharing this with the people? And the person that comes to my mind, it has been coming to my mind for quite a while now, is this. The person who's tried and failed. I don't know what it is and what area it is, but maybe it's like, you know, you, you tried and failed to, uh, you know, it, maybe it's in some of these areas you'll look at in a moment, but maybe you tried and failed, maybe you tried to read the Bible consistently and you just didn't get very much traction with it. You didn't succeed or you quit after a little while. We want to support you. We want you to try and win. But we realize that for a lot of us, that, that what's hindered us is we just realize, I'm doing this on my own. I'm trying to win on my own. You don't have a team with you. You don't have people supporting you. You don't have people encouraging you. You don't have people asking about what your next step of growth you're trying to grow in is and then coming around you and really giving you the support and the encouragement that you need. And we want that to change for you. We've already been praying for you. You discouraged. You said, I've, I've tried this six times. It didn't work. I, I tried to make traction in this area. We want this season to be different for you. That's why we've met with life groups. We're coaching life groups. We're saying, listen, let's, let's do things in such a way that we're asking people, what, what are your next steps of growth? What, what do you think God's calling you to obey in this season? What, when you've reflected, when you've allowed the Holy Spirit to sort of you know, uh, drop something into your mind or something like that, what came out? What are the things that you're called to do in this season? And then get around that. Get around that. I was thinking about, you know, maybe somebody, you, you, we read about baptism. Maybe you ne- you're a follower of Jesus, but you never got baptized. Maybe you're scared of water. You're scared of crowds. You're worried you have to make a video. Let's get people around you. Let's get people encourage you. We'll find ways to get to overcome obstacles. But you need encouragement. You need support. You need people who are going to help you 
to win in these areas. And we want to see a ton of wins this year in people taking next steps with Jesus. Let me just, I'm going to jump to this. I've got a little slide here. A little slide. We're going to get those in just a second. little slide of a little man. You guys, can you guys find that back there? The little man slide. There we go. I don't know if he's a little man. He's a little, he's a little something. Anyhow, here's the five ways we just, we're talking about um, five things on the discipleship pathway. And we'll get into the nitty gritty a little more in a second. But basically celebrate big. Do you celebrate big? Do you go to church regularly? Are, are there things that, you, that we do in big celebrations? Do you enter into the worship? Are you really engaged when you're here? I mean, do you show up often? You know, there's lots of things, right? Have you, the things that we do publicly, like we, we commit to raise our children in Christianity, that's a big step. Have you done that? Getting baptized, those are all in there, right? Celebrate big. So on this little diagram, that, that's sort of longer than the others. We're sort of saying that it's possible that you could quite quickly see where you need to grow just by imagining how far you've grown in these areas already. So this, this little character looks like he's grown pretty good in, in, this, in the Celebrate Big. But you look down to his walk with Jesus, how he's growing in, in those ways, and maybe he's not grown so much. And I, you can just draw this on your paper if you want, or just in your mind. Think about these areas. Connecting small. Are you connecting regularly with believers so that you're known and they know you and, and your spiritual growth gets cared about and supported? And you are caring about and supporting other people's spiritual growth. That mutual discipling that happens in small groups. So it can happen in a life group. There's also lots of other groups in our church that are really disciple-making groups. I think Alpha is one of them, for sure. And there's a few others. But those places where... Um, so how long is that in your life? Walking with Jesus, that personal relationship with him, that through Bible and prayer and, um, and just engaging with him. You know, maybe some things we have in our church that support that, like set free retreats and some of those things that just really help us in a walk with Jesus. How's that? How long is that in your life? Share the work. That's where you discover, this is how God shaped me and this is how I can serve. And you join a team to, to help... Uh, support the work that happens in our church. Pretty simple stuff. But is it long in your life or is it non-existent or where is it at? Engage in mission, right? Lots of ways we engage in mission. We give our time, we give our, our talents, we give our treasure, we just give ourselves so that other people can know Christ. So maybe you're partnering with um, local partners in mission here in town. Maybe you're with Joe's place or, you, or you've got a mission trip on your mind. You're going to go off to some other country and serve there. I don't know where it is. You're learning to share your faith. Maybe you need to grow in that area. Sling training, alpha, those are coming up next, you know, September 28th. If you imagined your shape, what would be the short leg or the short arm? <laughs> or I guess you can have a short neck. It's just a silly thing. But maybe it's helpful to you, especially visual learners, just to imagine your discipleship this way. So, here's what I want to jump into. If you've got a smartphone, do it on your smartphone. It's going to be way better. If you don't have a smartphone, uh, you've got papers coming in, and if you still need one, maybe we'll get you to raise your hand and do this. But we're going to take a moment to do this reflection together. So if you've got a smartphone, I encourage you to do that. Now, here's what's going to happen. You, you're going to go through, 
these five different categories. There's going to be lots of things under those categories. But before we begin, we're going to pray. Because this isn't just like some clinical assessment. We want to be guided by the Holy Spirit to prompt us in areas of obedience. We want him to guide us in areas of obedience. So let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that we're not, leading, we're not following a man, but we're following you. And um, you're the best leader. And you do. Uh, we, I think of Jesus saying, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. That's what we want. We just simply want to uh, have a sense of what we're supposed to do and then to go about doing it. It's not rocket science, really, but we are dependent on you. And so, Lord, right now, we, we just give you our attention and also we just want to express to you how much we need your guidance, we need your leadership in our lives in order to do the good works, the unique things that you have planned in advance for us to do, and we don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss the whole point of our existence and fritter our lives away on other things. We really do want to experience being on an adventure with you, being in partnership with you. So would you guide us right now, even as we do this reflection? I don't want it just to be clinical. We want it, we want it to be um, our hearts engaged and just even our spiritual radar up for if you want to just deposit a thought in that is, is from you then we're, we're open to that as well. So we just, yeah, would you guide and direct as we, we go through this together? All right. Well, here's, the, here's where you can go. You can just go to our website. You'll see a little online assessment box you can pop on. If you've got a smartphone, that's what I'd encourage you to do. I have to tell you this before we get a little further because you'll want to know this. How are we going to support you with, you with this when you do this? Okay, telling you in advance, when you do this, your assessment, what you said, the area you want to grow, it'll, it'll send it to our office. Okay? So you might be scared about that, but let me just tell you, it's not scary, it's good. It's because we want to support you. Some people are going to put on their form, I'm growing, I've grown in all these ways and I just want to mentor someone in this area. Well, then we can match up mentors with people who say, I'm, I need support to grow in this area. So not only will your life group or any discipleship group you're in help you, but we can also give you extra support so that you win in this season. So if you do it online, it'll just kick back and we'll get a copy of that and then we'll send you an email that gives you lots of resources to help you. If you do it in a paper version, I'm going to ask you to take it to the office afterwards and give it to Karen there. She's our lovely office manager there, and, uh, and we'll support you as well. The idea is that we want to give you support, and we want to win, and we want to be able to stand for Jesus someday and say, we embraced what you taught us to do in making disciples who make disciples. So go for it. Go through that assessment. You'll see different things in there that, are, that you can tick or, or circle or whatever you want to do with that if it's the paper version, but if it's online, you're just going through there going, that's a step of discipleship. Before you finish, I want to say one more thing. Before you finish, there's a little box at the bottom where you sort of summarize. Don't hit send before you do that. You really want to come away from this crystal clear as best you can 
on what a next step or maybe two next steps, perhaps, if you're an overachiever, that you are really feel you're supposed to chase in this next season. Okay? So it's just a responsiveness to what God is showing you. So I'll be quiet and let you focus. If you're on an online family, thank you for joining us. I encourage you to go to our, our church website, hillcrestmj.com, and fill out this assessment. But we're going to say goodbye to our online uh, family. God bless you, and have an incredible week. Does anyone need a paper or a pen? Do you need an assessment or a reflection? Whatever. Sorry, but he's using the word. Does anyone need it? No? Okay, everybody's good. Anyone need a pen? All right.